You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. I'm honored to get to start off this this teaching series with you. I want to encourage you to be here every week. And here's why. Because I believe that God has called not just your pastors to build the kingdom in this city and in this region and to advance the kingdom and I believe that he's called each and every one of you to be a part of that. And if he's called you to be a part of it, I think it's, it's imperative that we have alignment in our values that we know not just what God's called us to do, but who he's called us to be. Because the more we know who he's called us to be, man, we can, we can step into that with such authority and we can step into that with such confidence. And I just wanna encourage you with that, to lean in over the next few weeks. And I really believe that God's gonna do something really supernatural. Like he's going to, it's almost like drawing a line in the sand, saying this is who we are. So whoever that resonates with, come and step over the line. Let's go all in. And I think it's very important that you're here here for that. But um, I thought about this phrase when you were talking, Pastor Brian, that um, I heard this when I was in San Francisco. I planted a church in San Francisco years ago. And um, there was a phrase that a guy told me once. He said, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And he said, the problem is, is that many churches um, try to be persuasive to get people to buy in but they don't bring clarity up front. And so people will buy into the church and then they find out who the church really is or maybe their position on something or the theology about something. And then they feel like they were deceived. And so the guy said, hey, won't you be clear because clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Uh, My prayer over the next few weeks as just one of the overseers that serves you guys is that there would be great clarity. One of the greatest things that a leader can give the people that they leave is clarity. Pastor Brian is one of the best at doing that. He, that's his heart. He's like, I want to be clear. This is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there. But this is who God has called us to be. And so today, my great honor is to share the foundational value. Like, I feel so, like, privileged. Like, you're, like, the most important one, and you let me kind of take a swing at it. So hopefully, no pressure at all. Thanks a lot. Uh, but here's, here's what the Lord spoke to your pastors. Um, and they're going to put this on the screen. But this is, this is around the idea of uh, Jesus is our message. We believe that the church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. Can somebody say amen? This church is not built on Brian Cromer, for Brian Cromer. It's not. It's not built on any personality. It's not built on any denomination. Thank God for denomination. But it's not built on any of that. It's built by Jesus, for Jesus, and on Jesus. I love that. Therefore, because of that reality and that truth, the focus should be on Jesus, not on a pastor, not on a leader, not on a personality, not even on just a culture of an organization, but the focus is a person and the person's name is Jesus. He is the focus of the messages we preach, the songs we sing, and the prayers we pray. We focus on Jesus because we believe that if people, look at this, if people see Jesus for who he is, then they will be captive or captured by his beauty and compelled to devote their life to knowing and following him. We believe people hear enough bad news. So our desire is to always tell people good news. This is a church that's about good news. This is the message of Jesus. The gospel literally means, it literally means good news. And the good news is the central message of our church. Methods will come and go. Styles will go in and out, fads in and out. Methods will come and go. Yet our message will remain the same. Jesus is 
our message. Come on, look at the person sitting next to you and say, Jesus, that sounded very weak. You sound like you're from Pittsburgh. Everybody say, God bless Pittsburgh, but not today. Um, Jesus, somebody say, Jesus is our message. Say it personalized, say, Jesus is my message. This is our first value and it's the foundation that all other values are built upon. You see, a structure is only as good as the foundation that it's built upon. I just built a house with my wife and our family and uh, we love it. And I love having people come over. I love to show them around the house. Maybe you, some of you, you've maybe recently purchased a home or, or you remember what it was like when you first got your first apartment or maybe you're in that process now of purchasing a home or building one. It's great because when you first get it, there's so much excitement and you love having guests come over and you love to walk them around and show them the house. You're like, hey, come, this is my favorite part of the house. And, and you show them, you know, your bathroom or the kitchen, or you, you know, you, you walk them through and you're like, oh, look, this, this was like, we paid attention to this little detail. But if you ever notice that no one ever walks you when they're touring you through their new house, when there's such great excitement, they never walk you outside and go, Hey, I want you to see something. This is the best part of the whole house. Look at that foundation. Look at that foundation. That thing is bad. Look at this foundation. No one, no one does that. But the reality is, is that the structural integrity of a home, it is determined not by its aesthetic, but by its foundation. You don't have a good foundation, it will fall apart. When the winds, we sing it earlier, rains come, winds come, the storms blew, but my, my house, it was built on you. You gotta have a firm foundation. And the foundation of this house is this, is that Jesus is our message. The good news of Jesus, that is our message. And let me tell you this, your life is built upon something as well. And so the question is not just what is the collective church, Queen City Church, what is our foundation, but what is your foundation? What is the foundation of your marriage? What is the foundation of your business? What is the foundation of your morality? What is the foundation of your relationships? What is the foundation of your finances? Because Jesus needs to be the foundation that we, we build our lives on. Because if our life is not built on Jesus, when everything around us is shaken, I'm telling you, our life will begin to fall apart in pieces. But when Jesus is your firm foundation, I'm telling you, there is nothing, not even hell itself, not even demons, nothing can break your life apart when Jesus is the foundation of your life. Love that. Have you noticed that in churches, if you've been around churches for a while, I've grown up in churches, my parents were pastors. I noticed a pattern in a lot of churches that oftentimes church people, especially like religious church people can be very opinionated about what the church should be talking about in the present moment in the cultural moment. Everybody wants you to speak on this thing. You need, pastor, you really need to be talking more about this topic. And everyone has their soapbox kind of preference and their proclivity. Like, I wish that pastor would talk more about this, or I wish that we'd speak more on this topic. And what I found is if you have not decided that Jesus is the centrality of the message that you're preaching, that he is the one that we're going to bank everything on and hang every truth on. If you do, then you'll begin to just be pressured to talk about every cultural hot topic. And while Jesus has a lot to say about the cultural moment, listen to me, the cultural moment, will come and go, but Jesus remains the same. He's the first, he's the last, and he's forever. He's the beginning, he's the end. He is everything. Jesus is our message. But, but oftentimes religious people in many churches will begin to say things like, oh, it's just not deep enough. I want to go deeper. You ever heard anybody say that? We just need to go deeper. I want some heavier revelation. Like, let's talk about revelations. Like, who, who does that, right? I want to go deeper. And it's so interesting that Religious people can be like that because the verses I'm about to read to you as kind of the framework to begin our conversation. These verses, 
that we're about to read are from the most thoughtful and contemplative theological mind that has ever existed other than Jesus, in my opinion. And his words are fascinating because, because essentially when people are saying, I want to go deeper, I want to go deeper. When they're saying that, they're saying, I want to grow, I want more. I need something that's going to help me mature to another level. But it's so interesting because the apostle Paul, he didn't preach Jesus and then move on to deeper truths. He simply moved deeper into the person and work of Jesus, deeper into the gospel, deeper into the good news. And what it did is it helped people to actually grow in their maturity. So it wasn't that you get Jesus or you get the gospel, then you move on to deeper things. It's simply, we're going to go deeper into the, the endless the endless space and place of who he is. And we're going to discover the hidden treasures of all wisdom and all knowledge. Look at the apostle Paul says to the Colossians. He says, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuous, strenuous, I can't even say that. I I do it a lot. Contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What is the apostle Paul saying? He's saying this. In other words, Paul is saying that the centrality of his message was the proclamation of the person and the work of Jesus. And that the more he proclaimed the beauty and the majesty and the preeminence of Jesus, the more it actually helped people mature and grow into a greater level of understanding of who Jesus is. He says, you want to know the means to the end? The end, if if the end is maturity and the end is growth and the end is to go deeper, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach more of Jesus. I'm going to make much of Jesus. And the more I make of Jesus, here's what it's going to do. It's going to flood our hearts with adoration and devotion and commitment because we're going to see him for who he is. He's majestic. He's beautiful. He's amazing. So Paul continues to go on in chapter two, and he says this, I want you to know how hard I'm contending or laboring for you. And for those at Laodicea, where another church he planted was at. And for all who have, who I've not met personally, my goal, look at this. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. When you preach Jesus, when Jesus is your message, it doesn't beat people down. It builds people up. Man, when you start talking about the love of Jesus, when you start talking about how magnificent Jesus is, people that come into church with their heads down, they'll leave with their heads lifted high. It's encouraging. It's one of the most encouraging messages somebody can ever hear. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. One of the results of a church that that passionately proclaims the message of Jesus is unity. When we just chase cultural topics, it can oftentimes cause disunity and division. But when we proclaim the person and work of Jesus, man, it unites our hearts in love. And it goes on to be united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, the singular mystery of God, namely or specifically who? Christ. So the mystery of God is not that you have broken some, you know, incredible, you know, code and revelations and the mark of the beast is this and this is the seals. And it's like Christian people can be so weird that they want something so deep. And he's saying, no, you know what the mystery is? The mystery is actually Jesus. Lean into Jesus. You want, you, want, you want to know the mystery of God, the things that like the depths of God? Lean into Jesus. And he says, in whom are hidden what? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Some of you, because of the jobs that you're in, you know what you need? You've prayed this prayer before. God, I need wisdom. You want wisdom? Get Jesus. Some of you are like, God, just, I don't know what to do in this situation. Get your eyes on Jesus. Go deeper into who Jesus is. 
It says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by, uh, by fine sounding arguments. In other words, what he's saying is this, the more solid our understanding is of the person and work of Jesus, the more solid our faith will be so that when people try to persuade us to believe something else or try to get us to move in a direction towards something that's not truth or, or, or good theology or good doctrine, maybe even it's heresy. If someone tries to argue with you or debate with you, no matter how smart they may seem, you'll have a firm foundation and you will not be persuaded. Isn't that beautiful? And it's the more we understand Jesus, the more we understand the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, we'll have a solid foundation. We will not easily be deceived. When other people are disappointed in church or disappointed in God and are deconstructing and are abandoning the faith, you won't do it because you're, you have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying. And, 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 and I just wanna encourage you that oftentimes we can get caught up in conversations or things and, and it's just, if it doesn't bring us closer to Jesus, I just don't know if we should be caught up in those things. So let me give you three reasons why I believe that our message should be Jesus. And we should, we should not deviate from the centrality of what I call Christocentric preaching, that Christ is the center. Which, by the way, I want to I just tell you that when you read your Bible, here's a way for you to know how to read your Bible. Your Bible is, is either, your Bible is not really about you. Your Bible is actually about Jesus. See, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And both the Old and the New point to the person and work of Jesus. And so when you read every portion of Jesus, like you're not reading David killing Goliath like, oh, I can be like David. This has inspired me to be like David. Or I can kill any giant. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus is the true and greater David that killed the greatest giant, which is death. And now you can face anything. You see, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. But I wanna show you this because these are three reasons why I believe that Jesus should be the central message of the church. The first one is this, because Jesus is the only way for salvation. He's the only way. Acts chapter four says this, salvation is found in no one else. Interpretation, no one else. For there is no other name, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let me be crystal clear with this radical candor moment. Self-help sermons will never save you. Behavior modification talks cannot save you. Religious rule keeping cannot save you. Good works cannot save you. Going to church cannot save you. Riding your parents' coattails because they were religious people cannot save you. Filling out a connection card cannot save you. Just praying a prayer that you don't really mean cannot save you, but I can tell you what can save you, save you, Jesus Christ can. The message of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can save me. This is good news. However, in, in the world we live in today with extreme pluralism, here's what we know, that that is a polarizing message, isn't it? When you think about even some of your friends, some of the people that you love dearly, maybe some of your coworkers that they just don't believe like you believe. And so it's hard for you to wrap your mind or for me to wrap my mind around, is Jesus really the only way? Like, is that true that he is the only way? You see, there are 195 countries in the world that we know today. Every once in a while, one will pop up or disappear. It's crazy the way that, wor that works, but there's about 195 countries. And out of 195 countries, there are 22 prominent or major world religions. Now there's a lot more than that, but there's 22 prominent major world religions that stand out. Out of 195 countries, 22 prominent world religions. And they, they differ on a lot of things, a lot of things. That's why they're different. But they actually have some commonalities. 
Out of the 22, listen, 22 of them have some type of holy writings, the Torah, the Bible, the Quran, etc. All 22 have some type of holy leaders, pastors, priests, imams, rabbis, and prophets. All 22 have some type of holy place of worship, a temple, a mosque, a synagogue, a church. But there is one out of the 22 that's in a category all by itself. There's one that stands alone. It doesn't just stand out, it stands alone. And that one stands alone, the one that stands alone is Christianity. And listen to me, because Christianity possesses something that the other 21 do not possess. Listen to me, Christianity stands alone, not because we have a pastor, not because we have a church, Not because we have a Bible, but because we have a savior. And Buddha said, follow me. I'll show you the way. Krishna said, follow me. I'll show you the way. Muhammad said, follow me. I'll show you the way. Jesus said, follow me. I am the way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. This is a radically exclusive claim that Jesus made. Either he was lying, he was crazy, or he was telling the truth. But a decision has to be made. Here's here's why this is so powerful. There's 22 prominent religions, but there's one preeminent religion. You know the difference between prominence and preeminence? Prominence means it's big and it stands out. Preeminence means that it stands alone and it's ranked at the top above all. Here's another way to put it. There There are a lot of prominent quarterbacks, but there's one preeminent one. His name is Joey Burrow. Okay, there's a lot of good ones. There's a lot out there. They, they, they stand out. They're recognizable. But we have the preeminent one. I'm just telling you that right now. Okay? But listen, Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is a polarizing statement. And it's offensive. And I know that. I'm, I'm willing to say that is an offensive statement. But if it is true, it is of utmost importance. If he truly is the only way. It not only should, should, should make us go, oh my gosh, the fact that I have, I have heard this good news, I can respond to this good news, but it also, also should give us a sense of urgency as the people of God that if you possess a knowledge and an understanding that Jesus is the only way, what about all the people out there that they, don't, they haven't heard or they don't know? And if he is the preeminent one and he ranks above all, the question is, is he preeminent in your life? Does he rank above all things in your life and in my life? Is he above my relationships? Is he above my preference? Is he above above my finances? Is he he above my career? Is he above it all? Because if he is the preeminent one and he is the only way, then I'm forced at this crossroads in my life. I've got to make a decision. I love what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. It's kind of funny. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell himself. You must take your choice, or you must make your choice. Either this was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He was not, he has not left that open to us. What is he saying? C.S. Lewis is saying, if you look at the exclusive claims of Jesus, he said he was the son of God. He says he was the only way. He says, there's no way to get to the father except through me. If, if that is true, then, then Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk this earth. But if it's false, if it's a lie, 
then we should not pay attention to it. But here's, here's the point. We've got to make a decision about it. Every person will close their eyes and they will stand before God and they will give an account for what they did with the man, Jesus. And if we believe that there should be this sense of urgency that we don't just go to church and tick off a religious box, but heaven and hell are a reality and people are, are, are they're, they're, they're lost and they're broken. And if we've been, if we've received that message, then it should give us a sense of like a patient urgency. The patience is that we're patient with people, but the urgency is that man, people, man, their lives are hanging in the balance and we should take it seriously. And the message of Jesus is paradoxical. If you think of it, it's at the height of, at the, it's at the height of, of exclusivity, but it's also at the same time at the height of inclusivity because Jesus says, because the word says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes. So it's open to whoever, whoever, whoever is thirsty, come to the fountains of life and drink freely from the water of life. This, this is the reality of the gospel is that yes, it is very exclusive that Jesus is the only way, but it's radically inclusive saying whoever will 195 countries, every person on the planet, God's arms are wide open saying, come, come and drink of the water of life. It is so exclusive and radically inclusive at the same moment. I remember being in San Francisco and preaching this message about Jesus among other gods and comparative religions. And, you know, obviously San Francisco is a little bit different from uh, Cincinnati and a little bit different from where I live now in Nashville. Um, I would say that, that areas outside of San Francisco are maybe even still a little Christianized, but there it's very post-Christian, very secularized, and pluralism is everywhere. And so I'm standing at the top of this ladder. It was like a 20-foot ladder, and I'm preaching from the top of this ladder, and I'm proclaiming this message of Jesus, how Jesus, how other religions in the world, the teaching is that you're down here, and you have to, through either contemplation or your moral uh, imperatives that you're ticking off the boxes, that you will ascend to a relationship with your creator, whereas Christianity teaches that God himself, because we could never ascend to him, he came down to us. And so I'm at the top of this ladder and I'm preaching Jesus, just preaching my guts out, sweating, just like, Jesus. Afterwards, I get stopped by this lady in the hall. She goes, I need to speak to you. And she says, I was born in India and I was raised a Hindu. And she said, that's all I've ever known. And she says, someone invited me to come to church today. I drove an hour, drove an hour from down in San Jose just to be here. I was so nervous, didn't know what to expect. And she said, and, and my friend had me sit like on the third row. She was like, I was so, I was like, why? Let's sit in the back. I don't want to go up there. She's like, but I sat there and she goes, and I just stared at you on that ladder talking about this man, Jesus. And she said something on the inside of me. I didn't, I didn't know if it was in my mind, if it was in my heart, but I could hear something whispering and saying, the man that's at the top of the ladder that's talking about Jesus, it's true. It's all true. It's all true. She had these huge tears streaming down her face. And this is what she said. I have to make a decision. You see, if Jesus is who he says he is, then there's a decision that we have to make. Here's the second thing for you. I'll tell you, um, Jesus is our message. Here's why. Not only because he's the only way and we take that seriously, but because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. I love what Colossians one says. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. In other words, Paul is saying that Jesus is the physical manifestation and revelation of the invisible God in the earth. Another way to say it is that Jesus is God in the flesh. We, we, we don't have time to like go into like Trinitarian theology and all this kind of stuff, but, but what I love this idea is that before Jesus, 
man had a limited revelation of who God was and what God was like, only to the degree that God would reveal himself through prophets or through visions and through dreams. But then Jesus comes on the scene and he is the the exact representation and the visible image of the invisible God. Now people could see for the very first time exactly what God the Father was like. And I love the way the Passion Translation says this, the sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. Let me give that to you in a, a more concrete idea. If I was at your house, we were sitting on the couch, and I heard somebody in the other room, like down the hall in the other room. I'm like, who is that? And you're like, oh, that's my friend, so-and-so. Now we can't see your friend, but we know your friend is there. We can't see your friend. The, the, the image of your friend is blocked because there's layers between us, but we know they're there. Now, if I got up and I took a mirror and I put it in the hallway, right by the door where the person, your friend is in the other room. And now we look down the hallway into a mirror, seeing the reflection of the person that was always there. This is what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the mirror. God has always been there. He's always been here. And and we kind of knew he was there, but now we get an exact reflection of the father through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I love how Philip asked Jesus, he says, Lord, show us the father and uh, we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? You see, to my knowledge, to my knowledge, there is no other religion out there out of the 22 prominent world religions that claim that their God humbled himself and became a human and died a criminal's death in order to reconcile his subjects to himself as king. And this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most scandalous and most beautiful news the world has ever heard. Jesus, the son of God, sent by the father to rescue and to redeem a world that had gone awry. And Jesus comes on the scene and he walks around and he dwells with humanity. And he's, here's what he's doing the whole time. He is showing the world what God, the father's posture is towards them because many of them had a view of God as being angry and wrathful and mean and mad and disappointed. And Jesus comes on the scene and he walks around among people that are broken. He invites people to his table that are screwed up, that have major issues. And he radically shows them the love of the father. This is so beautiful. This is so beautiful because here's the application for us. You and I now as the church, we are the physical body of Christ in the earth today. We're the mirror and God calls us to represent, to represent him, Jesus, the son to the world today, revealing the heart of the father. The sad news is, is that many Christians misrepresent, misrepresent Jesus And that's why so many people have walked away from the church. But for us, we are called to be a mirror reflection of the heart of the father towards people that are broken, that are confused, that are lost, that are hurting. We're to show the heart of the father to people. You and I, we've been called to mirror reflect Jesus in the earth today. Here's my last proposition for you and I'll hurry up. Why is Jesus our message? And why am I passionate about this? Is because Jesus is full. He's full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is full of that. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. John chapter one says this, the word became flesh. The word is Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Here's why that's so important. The message of Jesus is that he himself is the embodiment 
of the fullness of the grace of God and the fullness of the truth of God. And here's why that's so powerful, because grace and truth, it teaches us they're not in competition. They are not in competition. They're actually complementary. And Jesus shows us that. You see, there's some churches that are unhealthy churches and toxic churches that they misrepresent Jesus as being all truth and no grace. And then they come across to a broken world as dogmatic and judgmental. They're full of truth, but they're lacking in grace. Then you have other toxic churches that misrepresent Jesus as being all grace and no truth. And they fail to call people to accountability and a standard of righteousness outlined in scripture. And Jesus, he did not compromise his grace on the altar of truth. Neither did he compromise truth on the altar of grace. He said, they're not in competition. I'm going to be full of both of them. See, healthy churches. See, there's toxic churches. And then there's what the language, I think is Hebrew, is tov churches, which means good churches, healthy churches. Healthy churches, guess what they, they do? They, they, they don't just say, hey, we accept all people and everything, and you can do whatever you want. They also are not like pointing their finger at everybody saying, everybody's wrong, everybody's bad. You know what they do? They say, we accept all people, we love all people, but there is a standard of righteousness and a standard of truth that God's word calls us to. And so they, they, they don't just preach grace, they preach truth. They don't just preach truth, they also preach grace. And here's why it's so important. We need grace because you and I, we are broken people. And we wanna extend the grace that we hope we someday never need, but the reality is, is we need it every single day. And that's why the message of grace, the grace of Jesus is so important. But we also need truth because we will never become the people God wants us to be unless we embrace truth. It's interesting. Everyone wants the life of Jesus. Watch this. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Everyone wants the life of Jesus, the abundant life, John 10, 10. Everyone wants the life of Jesus, but few people want to embrace the truth of Jesus because sometimes it's uncomfortable and it stings. And even fewer people want to actually practice the way of Jesus. And so how will we ever experience the life of Jesus without his truth and without his practice? Man, this is a quiet little church. It's a Pittsburghian church here. Listen, we will always preach here at Queen City Church from a posture of grace for people. People hear enough bad news. They don't need you to tell them how bad they are. They need, you to tell, they need you to tell them how good Jesus is. We'll always preach from a posture of grace. Pastor Brian and I were talking about this. It's interesting the, the, uh, the order that you see that Jesus was full of grace and truth. I think that, I think that it's such, so beautiful that, that, that the grace comes first. It's like, man, come on. There's a seat at my table. You don't have to believe a certain thing to belong here. You don't have to behave a certain way before you can belong here. You, you just belong because, because there's a seat for you at the table. And it's grace. And we extend grace towards people. But listen to me, we will never back down from truth either as a church. We'll never apologize for the truth of God's word. We believe in the authority of scripture and we believe that the word of God, it's, it, is, it, is, it is, I have a shirt I was wearing the other day, it's basic instructions before leaving earth. That's the worst phrase ever, Bible, basic instructions. But you know what it is? It is, it's our roadmap. It's the filter. It's the filter by which we make our decisions. And it's proven over, the t- over time that it works. The way that the Bible talks, the truth of God's word talks about relationships, it makes it work. The way it talks about finances, it makes it work. And we'll never apologize. We'll never water down the truth. We'll never compromise the truth. Even if it's uncomfortable truth, we will hold gr- grace and we will hold truth. Because why? Because grace is the face that love wears when it encounters imperfection. But truth, truth helps us close the gap between who we are and who God is calling us to be. 
Listen, let's be a place of grace for people, for all types of people. But let's also love people enough to share with them the only thing that can transform their life, which is the truth of Jesus. You will know the truth and the truth will do what? It will, it will set you free, but sometimes it will hurt first. Grace and truth. Jesus was full of both of them. We see this the best in the story of a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Do you remember that story? Which, where was the guy at, right? No one talks about him. Anyway, I digress. Just the contrasting picture, these religious people catch this woman who's obviously broken. She's very broken. She's, we don't know if she's been in multiple relationships, but another another passage, passage <clears throat> I think it's in Luke 8, says that it was a woman that was known in the streets, <clears throat> which means that she probably had multiple relationships and some even say maybe even a, a, a working in prostitution, but she was known as a notorious sinner. And this woman, she's caught by these religious people and they bring her and they throw her, just throw her down. That's what religion does. It throws you down, beats you down, tells you how bad you are, shames you. These religious men, they shame this woman publicly in front of a crowd of people. She's in the dirt at Jesus' feet. And these, these religious guys, they pick up rocks. They said, hey, they're trying to trap Jesus. They say, what do you say? Because the law says that we've, we've caught her in, in this adultery that we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus just gets down on his knees. He's stooping. This, that's the posture of grace. We stoop towards people's brokenness and gets down on his knees and we don't know what he writes, but the scriptures tell us he starts writing in the ground, in the sand. By the way, it's the only message we have recorded that Jesus, only sermon that Jesus ever written. That, that's the only one we have recorded. He's writing a sermon. He's writing a sermon in the dirt. I imagine he's probably writing down some of the pet secret sins of some of the religious guys. He's just kind of writing. And he said, uh, as he begins to hear these rocks thump, hitting the ground, the Bible says that it's the older men first before the younger men. It's usually because when you get older, you ever notice like, as you get older, you're like, man, I need more grace. I need, I need, I'm not perfect. And these, these older men start dropping the stones and you can hear them thud, thud, hitting the ground. One by one from the oldest to the youngest, they drop their stones and they walk away. And Jesus looks at this precious young woman. He says, I want you to look up. Where are your condemners? Where are your accusers? She says, they're not here. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. Radical grace. But then he looks at her and he says, now go and sin no more. Radical truth. Full of grace. Full of truth. Jesus is our message. Listen, may we be a church. Imagine a church where people can come in and if they're in the dust of their brokenness, we will stoop in grace. Imagine a church that says, hey, we love you. You're welcome here. And we, we are patient with people and come alongside them in their process. And we're, we're, we love them so much that we will say the hard things if it will help them. This is, this is why Jesus is our message. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want to I pray over us. Father, we love you so much. And we just thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you that he is our message. He is the totality of all that we believe and all we aspire to become. 
Jesus is the standard. He's the mark. He's the North Star for our lives. He's the preeminent one. He's above all things. He's beautiful. He's majestic. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Lily of the Valleys. He's the bright and morning star. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and he is coming back again for his bride. He's the great bridegroom. He is perfect. He's the flawless one. He's the fairest of ten thousands. There has never been anyone greater than him. He is matchless. He is perfect. He rises above all. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And today we just declare that he is great. He is supreme. He is preeminent. And we desire to build our lives upon him. Because there may be days when everything is shaken around us. But Jesus, you will never be shaken. You will never be shaken. You're the king of an unshakable kingdom. You hold the stars in your hands and the very universe is held by the power of your word. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. We adore you today. We worship you today, King Jesus. We thank you that you stooped down into our, the dirt of our sin and you stooped into our own brokenness and you looked at us and you said, where are your condemners? And you said, neither do I condemn you. Grace, grace, grace upon grace. We thank you for that. If you're here today and you say, Jason, I don't have a relationship with this man, Jesus, but I, I want one today. I believe that you came here for a reason and it was so that you could hear that God is for you, that God loves you, The bad news is that if you don't have a relationship with him, if you were to die, you'd spend eternity separated from him. But the good news is that you're alive and you have breath in your lungs and you can today, you can declare your allegiance to Jesus. And the Bible says that you'll be saved, you'll be forgiven, you'll be given a fresh start and a new beginning and your life can be different. The life you've always dreamed of, it could be different if you give your life to Jesus. Today, if you say, Jason, that's me, I need forgiveness of my past. I need salvation for today and a hope and a future. If that's you, I just want you to pray this simple prayer. There's no magic to this prayer. It's just, it's just simple. Jesus, I need you. And today I declare that you are the son of God. And that salvation is found in no other person, in no other way. And so today I, I surrender my life to you and I choose to follow you, Jesus. I devote my life to following you. May you be my firm foundation. May you be the fulfillment of my dreams and may you be the words that are written on the pages of my life. Jesus, there's no one greater. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople.com or visit queencitypeople.com.